We're calling it, if you got a postcard, we're calling it Simply Jesus, uh, How He Changes Everything, which could sound pretty all-encompassing. And what we're going to do, though, is we're going to take a look in uh, the fall semester, and the, the goal is really twofold. The goal is, on the one hand, to show how all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, really is about Jesus. And so tonight, we're actually starting in Genesis 3, and then by the end of the semester, we're going to be in Revelation and how Old Testament Psalms and obviously the Gospels, it all points to Jesus. And the way that we're kind of thinking about it is we're really looking for the first part of this semester about uh, what Scripture says Jesus will be like, the promised Savior. Then we're going to look at actually in the Gospels what he was like. And then we get to look at in the New Testament epistles what he is like in Revelation. So that's what we're doing. And uh, tonight what I want to do is start in Genesis 3. And so you have it in your handout. We're going all the way back. We're taking it old school, going all the way back to the, really the beginning of the world. And the most tragic thing that's ever happened in the world, uh, it's known as, if you grew up in the church, it's known as the fall. And so I'm going to read it for us, and then I'm going to dive into what I want to talk about tonight. So here's what the author of Genesis writes. So the fall has just happened, if you know that story at all. Satan, the serpent, has tempted them with the fruit they've eaten, starting in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid uh, because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, curse are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let me pray for us and I want to dive into this passage tonight. Let's pray first. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do thank you that uh, all of scripture points to you. Lord, we we look not to ourselves tonight, um, not to our own goodness. Lord, if we are even a little bit honest or aware about ourselves, Lord, we know that at our hearts we are not good. Lord, you tell us that our hearts are deceitful above all things. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would do that beautiful thing that you love to do, which is to make, make, um, make yourself, Lord Jesus, more beautiful and believable to us. I pray, however, it is that we come. Some of us come excited to be here. Some of us come very anxious to be here. Some of us are very, um, very weary. We feel burdened, um, whether it's a relationship or whether it's 
something happening in our lives. Lord, I pray that however it is that we come, would you do that beautiful thing that you love to do, which is to meet your people where they are, where we are, not where we are pretending to be, not where we even want to be. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage and look at what it says about you and what you are going to be like, Lord Jesus, that you would bless us richly. Would you uh, encourage our hearts by your grace tonight? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So it doesn't take very long to be alive in this world to realize that this world, that life itself, is not as it should be. This hit home for me over the weekend. I am... A part of my story is my dad left when I was early, and I was looking all my life, really, for a father figure. And I found one really in high school that became an even closer father figure in, in college, and then even as I got into seminary. And his name is Clark Bonham, and uh, he, my youngest, Sadie Clark, some of you have met. She's my six-year-old. Um, she is named after him. She's his namesake because he was just so dear to me. He loved me so well. He helped me unpack my story. He taught me the deep truths of Scripture. When I was in seminary, it's about 2007, I learned that my friend Clark, my father figure Clark, had um, gotten very, very sick with colon cancer. And he very, very rapidly died. And I was thinking about him because the anniversary of his death was this past weekend. And I actually went back and was just thinking about how much God used him in my life. And it's one of those anniversaries that some of us have, a death or a loss, some kind of grief. It doesn't take being along in this, being alive in this world very long to realize things really are not as they should be. And we could, even if it's not something personal to you, we could even go, I mean, let's think about the recent events that we're living in. Think about Charlottesville for a second and the trauma and the righteous anger that we should have about Charlottesville. Think about even Harvey for a second. It doesn't take very long to realize life, people, even if we're honest about ourselves, we ourselves are not as we should be. And what I love about Genesis 3 is it hits at that nagging feeling. That nagging feeling that things are not as they should be, that you and I are not as we should be, that this world is not as it should be. And the beautiful thing, there's no place really in literature that that unpacks this more profoundly and beautifully than Genesis 3. And so really what we're going to do tonight is pretty simple. The first thing I want to talk about is the results of the fall as we find them in Genesis 3. Then I want to talk about the first promise of the Redeemer. redeemer. That was a, a cool way to say Redeemer and Savior at the same time. Uh, and, then, and then unpack thirdly just what it means for us, for you and me, okay, for those who want to follow Jesus. So first, let's unpack for a little bit the results of the fall. There really are four, like, tragic results or tragic things that happen in this moment that we just read in Genesis 3. Four kinds of fallout, I'm going to call it. Four things that really broke in, in really horrific ways. Uh, through what happened to Genesis 3. Here's the first thing that happened. There was spiritual fallout between Adam and Eve and God. Verse 8 is a fascinating verse. They hear God coming, and they hid. They heard, and they hid. Uh, Something is now, this is the first time we find that something is now deeply, deeply broken in their relationship with God. If we were to go back to Genesis 2, which we're on time tonight, we would find that the way that they use that phrase that Adam and Eve were used to being created by God, for God, for relationship with God. They were used to walking in the garden in the cool of the day with God. That was a Hebrew idiom for saying they were close to God. They had deep friendship and joy and fellowship with God. And now that's gone. Something has broken in their relationship. Another way to say it is they moved from absolute trust and love in God through the lies of the serpent and through their sin into now what we could call suspicion and fear. And so what, what used to be a sweet sound, oh, God is coming, I can't wait to hang out with him, 
has now become something terrifying, something that makes them feel deeply not okay. Uh, the way that I was thinking about it, I, I don't know how else to say this, but it, what, what this means for us is that we've all experienced from birth this sort of tragic breakup with God. And if we're being honest, because maybe you're here and you're thinking, that's not my experience. I feel very close to God. I've always felt very close to God. Can I just say that part of what we're saying is we're talking about the God of the Bible, the same God that when Isaiah met him in Isaiah 6, he said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. The same God when Peter met him in the boat with Jesus, as Jesus you know, was revealing the glory of God in that moment, what did Peter say? Do you remember? He said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. This God of the Bible that produces fear in us. And part of what Genesis 3 is saying is there's been this tragic kind of breakup with him. Something is deeply wrong in our relationship with him from birth. And this is what we see happening in Genesis 3. I like to think about it like this. I, I did, this is my 12th year doing REF overall. Uh, seven years here. I did five years in Statesboro, Georgia, at Georgia Southern. And there was this one moment that I'll never forget where we used to sing, we sing hymns in RUF. This is your first time. I know it can feel a little weird at first, so all I can say is stick it out. RUF is the place where these hymns are going to become beautiful to you, but if it weirded you out a little, welcome to the club. We've all experienced the, like, getting over the hill of RUF music becoming beautiful. But I remember we used to sing a lot, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And there was this one student, he used to, he actually played in the band, he played bass. He was slapping the bass around. And uh, there was this moment where he was hanging out with the guy that was leading my music at the time. This guy would have said, I grew up in the church, but I don't really know Jesus. And he had this profound moment on the golf course with, my, with one of my students. And he said, Matt, you know how we sing it as well with my soul? And I was like, yeah. And I think he was bracing himself for like a critique of REF music. And he said, can I just say, it is not well with my soul. And what I want you to see is... This is actually the beginning place of what it means to become a Christian. Like, if you, if you haven't felt that, you don't know Jesus. The, the, you, if you haven't felt that something is off, wrong in my relationship with God, then you can't begin to believe the good news of the gospel. The way I like to say it sometimes is the news about Jesus will never be good to you unless you first begin to believe about the, the badness about yourself and the badness about what's happened in your relationship with God. So first, there's this, what we could call spiritual fallout, but then that leads to other things, other kinds of fallout. Second, there's a psychological fallout. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 7, if you're looking up in the passage. They're at this moment where they suddenly realize that they are naked, and they are so deeply ashamed of their nakedness that they cover themselves with fig leaves. It's actually a sad picture. I was Googling images. I've actually never, like, I've heard this passage a million times, but I was Googling images of fig leaves. Apparently, there's, like, a lingerie company called Fig Leaves, which I learned the hard way. But, uh... That's an aside. Uh, I don't stand track. Uh, but they were so ashamed of themselves, of their nakedness, that they literally sewed, put together fig leaves to cover themselves. What's fascinating, again, in Genesis 2, there is a beautiful verse that, that is what humanity is meant to be, what marriage is meant to be, where it says about Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. And then now, because of the fall, because of their sin, they, they are naked and ashamed. In other words, they've moved from this, what we call blessed self-forgetfulness, just pure love toward God and toward each other, and now they are full of insecurity and self-hatred. What I want you to see is Genesis 3 is the birthplace of that thing we call shame. Shame is different than guilt. Guilt is, I feel bad about what I've done. 
I did something wrong and I feel bad about it. Shame is different. Shame is saying I am something wrong. Something is wrong with me. You know, this is this moment. Genesis 3 is so important because this is the moment that gives, that makes the soil rich in us for anxiety and depression and addiction and getting into these relationships that we know are not good for us and yet we feel so enslaved and addicted to what we feel like we get from them. This is the birthplace of all of that. Uh, recently, I'm, I'm a huge introvert. Um, I make no uh, qualms about that. And so uh, my hobbies are like watching shows and that's like what I live for. Like I live for the moments where I can just hold myself by, my, hold up by myself and watch some new show. And so my wife and I, was, we actually got a thing where we have shows that we watch together and then shows that we watch apart. So I found my new show. I was looking for a show to watch apart. And I found a show called Fleabag. It's a BBC show that's on Amazon. And it's a fascinating show. It's about sort of this uh, 20-something uh, girl in London who's experienced this tr- tragic loss of a friend, and she's trying to make, make sense of life. She's got her mom also died uh, a few years ago but, you know, when we get to the show. She's got an estranged dad with a stepmom who's just like so beautifully passive-aggressive. It's amazing. And she's got this moment where she's, she's trying to be this feminist you know, just successful. She's trying to start this, uh, this particular bake shop in London and she's just failing, failing, failing. And she has this moment. She ends up going to her dad's door at two in the morning and she has this beautiful, I love this. This is what got me into the show. So in the first episode, she says this, she's kind of confessing half jokingly, but truth, truthfully, she says, I have a horrible feeling that I'm a greedy, perverted, selfish, apathetic, cynical, depraved, morally bankrupt woman who can't even call herself a feminist. She had recently gone to a feminist lecture that day and couldn't even pay attention through it. And so she's admitting, but in this beautiful moment, sort of jokingly, she's admitting this thing we're talking about, the shame that you and I feel. And what I love is Genesis 3 really is this invitation to not be okay. There is so much pressure on, on us and you and on me to be okay. And Genesis 3 is saying, at heart, every single person you meet at USC, here's the thing. This is like a beautiful thing about Genesis 3. It's saying, at heart, every single person, no matter how confident they seem or how withdrawn they seem, is wrestling with this deep, deep insecurity and deep, deep shame. And then it goes further. This is the depressing part, by the way. Ariel is often depressing, but it's not usually this depressing. So hang with me. So first, spiritual fallout. Second, psychological fallout. And then third, social fallout. Here's what I mean by this. Look at verse 12 and 13. Because they're feeling ashamed about themselves, because something is broken, deeply broken now in their relationship with God, they turn on each other. You see it, Adam, when God comes and asks lovingly this question to draw them out of hiding... Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. This is the birthplace of blame shifting. This is the birthplace of minimizing our own things that we bring to the table. This is the birthplace of manipulation. This is the birthplace, oddly, of sexism, where where Adam's saying, you know, God, you know how, how this woman is. And so here we see this social breakdown. What I want you to see is, isn't Genesis 2, if we were to look at it, where we see this sort of beautiful self-giving relationship between Adam and Eve where they're so secure in the love of God and they're so secure in who God has made them to be that they're moving in love and joy toward one another. Isn't that what we want for our friendships? Isn't that what we want for a relationship with each other? And yet, isn't it the reality? I trust you've had enough time with your roommate. I trust you've had enough time with friends that you thought were friends that you've learned are not now friends. I trust that you come in all kinds of complicated relational 
you know, hard to define places uh, and maybe in relationships that you're not sure about, to know that that's not how it is. That what we find so often is what we find in Genesis 3, where we're looking to blame everyone but ourselves. We're looking to shift the blame away from ourselves. This is why one of my favorite counselors who writes and, and speaks a lot, of, he loves to say that in all of your relationships, you're always doing one of two things, either ministry or manipulation. And here we see, we know which one the serpent is doing. The serpent is doing manipulation. And then you see how Adam and Eve begin to do it with God and with each other. They begin to blame shift and to, to blame and, and um, turn on each other. And this is the cause of social problems. I mean, when we think about, I mentioned Charlottesville in the beginning. You know, what's fascinating is, if you followed it, I don't know, I'm not trying to have a hot political take. I can say, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm you know, super against what's happening in Charlottesville, what happened in Charlottesville, and this whole movement that is um, just at heart racism. But, you know, over and over again, I heard that statement that, you know, people are taught to be racist. And it's fascinating is I think actually racism finds its roots in Genesis 3. Where if you think about it, how did the first people on earth that were racist become racist? It wasn't because someone taught them. It was because they were so longing, out of their insecurity, to justify themselves, to make themselves feel okay, that they were trying to look at another group of people, another race of people, in this case, and say, That's, they're the problem. If we were just in control, then everything would be okay. And you see, you see what's happening. This is the result of the fall. That all, at heart, all it is is this deep-rooted... I want you to connect these dots. It's a deep, because there's a deep-rooted insecurity in their relationship with God, therefore there's a deep-rooted insecurity about themselves that therefore has to have social fallout. Because here's what Adam and Eve could have done in this situation. Adam and Eve, instead of turning on each other, could have simply turned in repentance and faith to God and said, God, we messed up. We are, we are wrong. We were wrong and we are wrong. Would you forgive us? We're going to get to the place where he does. But you know that that's not what they do, is it? Instead of seeking the forgiveness that God is so willing to offer them, they try to self-justify themselves. And that is at the root not just of, of sexism. That's not at the root just of, uh, not just of racism. That's at the root of classism. That's at the root of every ism. This deep desire to make ourselves feel okay because at heart we know that we're not. And then it gets worse. There's spiritual, there's psychological, there's social fallout. And then we see, if we were to keep going down the passage, there's physical fallout. This is where if we were to keep going in verse 17 and 18, that, that beautiful image or vivid image about thorns and thistles. God is saying to them, you are called to cultivate this land and it's going to be, it's going to fight, you know, this, this came home for me this weekend. So uh, we have two preteens, a seventh grader and a fifth grader. And it's really hard. I'm going to be honest with you. Like it makes me really tired because there's just all this arguing all the time and all this like talking back all the time and all this trying really, really hard to connect and like being blocked off all the time. But I've learned one of the perks is now uh, my son can help me mow the grass, which is a huge one. Big fan of that. Big fan of some help around the yard and around the house. And so I was teaching him uh, for the first time just how to mow our grass. And I was thinking about that. I, I hate, I mean, I, I don't know what you're like, but I hate mowing the grass. I mean, I've had a couple of moments where I can put headphones in, go to my happy place, and just, you know, just drift a little. Most of the time, that's not the case. Our, when we, our house in Statesbury was this huge yard, and it was all weeds. And it was like that, as soon as I mowed it, I could feel the grass mocking, the weeds mocking me. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was a nice, nice little cut you got there. Just give it a day or two, and you're going to be deeply depressed. 
And that's what I was thinking about, like, even little things like that, like, because this is the way that I was thinking about it, is you, you mow, like, in my case, you mow the yard over and over and over again your whole life, and at the end, what do you get? A little plot of grass that someone else is going to, like, not want to mow. And it's part of what the physical fallout is, is that the world is not, we are not at peace with the world. It's hard. Uh, George Whitfield, the famous British preacher, would say about the way that we relate to animals. He would say, why do the birds screech at us when we walk by them? And he says, the birds screech at us because they know we have a quarrel with their maker. There is deep fallout. Here's why am I doing all of this? Why am I trying to give you this complete picture? Here's why. Because normally, if you've grown up around the church at all, when you've heard the word sin, this is not what you think. When you've heard the word sin, you typically reduce it to a, a small amount of choices that you make in your life. And can you just see that's not what Genesis 3 is talking about. Genesis 3 is talking about sin as a disease that starts at, at the heart in this lost, broken relationship with our creator and then moves out into ourselves, into our relationships, even into the way that we do life in this world. It is a massive problem. The reason I want you to see that is a massive problem like this disease we find of sin that is so complicated and so complex and so entrenching and so huge is not something you and I could ever fight or face ourselves. Listen, I don't, if you never come back to RUF, I would love for you to. I want you to. But if you never come back, this is what RUF is about, is this Genesis 3.15 is that we have a huge view of sin. You are far more sinful than you think you are. I am far more sinful than I even yet know. Listen, at 37, I know myself to be worse than I thought I was at 18, I promise. That's, how, that's called growth in the Christian life. We're going to talk a lot about that. But what I want you to see is Genesis 3.15 also says, yes, sin is a huge problem, but we have a greater Savior. And Genesis 3.15 is the first place. This is why I want to do this. We're talking about Jesus, simply Jesus, how he changes everything. Genesis 3.15 is fascinating because this is the first promise. Scholars years and years and years have said this is the first promise. This is the first glimmer of hope about this coming Savior who we know is Jesus. Look at it with me for a second. We're moving into the, uh, the first promise of the Savior. There are a couple of things that are fascinating about it. Here's the first one. God in this N315, he's moved from questioning Adam and Eve... And he's actually making a statement, a, declar- a declarative statement against the serpent. And here's what he says. He says there's going to be this enmity now. There are going to be two groups of people now. What, what we could call the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. That sounds weird. What do we mean by that? It's Kendrick, Lamar. Kendrick Lamar says it the best, always. And he says it in, in Money Trees. He says it's Hollyberry or Hallelujah. Pick your poison and tell me what you do. And you see what he's saying. People, what, what it means to be a seed of the, to be offspring of the serpent, it simply means you believe Satan's lies. The serpent's lies in the garden are, are in our hearts from birth, y'all. And here's what they are. Did God really say? So first he twists God's words to them. He actually, he actually exaggerates God's words to them to make God seem mean and cruel. And then he, he, does, he goes for the fatal blow in our hearts. He says, does God really love you? That's what he's implying. Does God really care about you? And those were the lies that, that really caused them to disobey this God who they'd walked in deep fellowship and joy with. And it's the same for us, isn't it? Did God really say, can we really trust the Bible? Isn't it this obscure, outdated, sort of aggressive, micro, not even microaggressive, aggressive book? And we can unpack that. I'd love to talk more about that. 
And does God really love you? Does he really care about you? Does he really see you? Does he care about your story? Does he care about your past? Does he know what he's doing in your life? And you understand that when Jesus confronts the Pharisees, that's why he calls them children of the devil. And he says, you don't know my father. You show yourself to be children of the devil. And then the other group is the seed of the woman, which is those who, who like Adam and Eve, trust in faith in who God is and what he's going to do for them. Now, what's interesting, this is going to Genesis 3.15. Why is it about Jesus? Here's what's interesting. As he begins talking about it, the, the, it moves from a plural language of plural to a language of singular. And he says, he, it suddenly gets really singular. He, he will crush your head and you will, talking to the serpent, bruise his heel. So we're starting to get this, this one specific person is, is emerging and coming into view. And then it gets even more beautifully, just beautiful. And this is why I gave you this handout or this little uh, weird postcard. As he says, and it's a, you just track with me for a second. He says, born of a woman. And what's fascinating in the Hebrew, that was very, very rare to, to not mention the father. And the way that I love when one guy said, he said, who was the only man that we know with, that was born purely of a woman with no earthly father? And then we begin to see Genesis 3.15 is the first promise of Jesus. You see in this, it's by, um, I think her name is Sister Miriam. She's a Catholic nun. And she drew this. It's beautiful to me. This is what I, I mean, when I look at it, um, the way that Mary comforts Eve is beautiful. Because this is the promise that there is one coming who's going to undo the curse, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. What, is this, what does that even mean? He's going to begin to undo those effects of the fall that we talked about. He's going to bring people like you and me, the lost and the lonely, back into fellowship with God. He's going to heal. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus and the demoniac. He's going to take our anxieties and our, our depression and our addiction, and he's going to triumph in beautiful, healing ways. He's going to heal us by his wounds, we're going to see. He's moving out into the world. Who does Jesus move toward in the Gospels? He's always moving toward the lonely and the outcast, those who are oppressed, those who, are, who needed mercy and justice. He's moving out in relational, beautiful ways. And then he's also beginning to make the world right again. To, this is why, you know, that fascinating passage where Jesus says if, when he's going into his, you know, when he's marching through Jerusalem and, and the people are beginning to shout Hosanna. And he says, if the people don't praise me, I promise you the rocks will cry out. Why will the rocks cry out? Because they know what he's doing. He's come to make the world right again. I love, we sing, I grew up in Episcopal Church in Sumter, South Carolina, a small little hometown church. And I love, actually as a kid, I hated our Christmas story. I hated our Christmas service because it was so long, you know, like it was so long. There was a play at the beginning and then there was like a, not, actually there weren't long sermons. That was one of the like wins of the Episcopal Church. And then, you know, we just sang and sang and sang, but I knew the thing was coming to an end. And I always loved this as a kid is, is we would always end with joy to the world. And think about joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And then we would sing, you know, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. There's a scene, let me get a little nerdy for a second. There's a scene in Lord of the Rings. It's in Return of the King where they're talking about how are we going to know the true king. How are we going to know that the true king has come? And there's this beautiful line that we're talking about how they're going to know because they're looking at Aragorn. Is he the true king? And there's this beautiful line where they say 
the hands of the king are healing hands. How do you know that Jesus is the true king? Because the hands of the king are healing hands. He's begun to heal us spiritually. He's come to heal us psychologically. He's come to heal us relationally, socially. He's come to heal this world physically. So what does this mean for us? What do we do with this? Here's a couple things. This is what I want to say to you. It means that Jesus cares more. So here's the way I want to say it. Does he care? Is he most passionate about evangelism? Is he most passionate about counseling? That's my jam. Is he most passionate about uh, sex trafficking and ending poverty? Is he most passionate about moving out into the world to heal, to heal it in homes and lands and rivers? And we could say yes. That we can't. To follow Jesus into ministry here means that we follow him into all of these ways. We follow him to seek and save the lost. Listen, when I was moving some stuff in here earlier today, I hit the door with my watch. I've become kind of a watch guy again, but my, my watch is like a Timex. Got it off Amazon for 20 bucks. But I bumped it in a way where the little, uh, you know, the little pin fell out. And I was literally on my, like right where you walked in, on my hands and knees, like looking for... I mean, it felt like hours. It was probably minutes for that little, that little pen. And the thought was this. If I care this much about this stupid pen and this watch that cost me literally $20 that I don't even like that much, how much more does Jesus care to seek and save the lost, those who he wants to bring back into relationship with himself here at USC? To follow him means to get a good counselor. You need someone who, help, who can unpack your story so that you can, when you meet people who have very broken stories, even if it's more broken than you, that you have someone to connect them to that's trustworthy, that is safe, that knows the gospel. You need to be pursuing people who are different than you, people who are radically different than you, their social background, their social upbringing. And you need to care about this, what we could say, this place, the place not USC, but Columbia, the place, how people live, the things that are happening in our communities. We need to care, and to, to follow Jesus means to care, not just about one, but about all of these things. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would um, lead us into this kind of ministry, that as we see the way that you minister so deeply to us, would you um, gather us and send us out to be people who are um, on mission for you, to be people who... Um, because we, because the gospel is sort of so rooted so deeply in our hearts, so Lord, we long for those around us uh, to see it, to know it, to feel it, to taste it. And so, Lord, we pray these things in Your name. Amen. Once I had a dream, I was falling from the sky, coming down like running water, passing by myself in life. In the morning I would wake to the sound of some voice Like little